Welcome to episode 325 of This Is Whole Life. And if you listen real closely, that's the sound of Jeff and Tammy driving down the interstate in Georgia and joining us via the podcast. And if you listen real closely, that's the sound of Ken sitting across from me uh, doing the podcast. <laughs> Ken is back after just one week, right? Yeah. You only yeah. missed one week. Yeah. Only one week. Yeah. And considering all that's been happening in your life, one week, that's, that's pretty good. I, You know what? I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. All right. Last week, we had we we're in the We Are Family series, and we had Singles Arise. And unfortunately, right before we recorded, we had one more question that came in from an anonymous source and asked, as a shy and introverted divorced single, what can I do to not feel invisible at church? Ouch. Oh, that's such a good question. It is a good question, but... It makes you feel a little sad, too. A little sad, yeah. You don't want anybody to feel invisible at church, and and this person does. So, um, what a great question. Jeff, what do you think? Yeah, as a matter of fact, it's it it's not it's not an uncommon question, is it? Because mm. of all places, church is that place where you would think that you know we we use the word family, and it's a place where most people want to be seen at least on the level of love and you know some kind of attention in some way. So, yeah, it's it's hard. First of all, I guess we should say that it's not just single people that we hear that from, too. That right, we do yeah. hear that from other people besides. So, first of all, you're not alone in thinking that, because sometimes churches can be uh, places where it's hard for lots of different types of people, depending on what's going on. You know, I think sometimes... When you think about, especially if you're shy, you're a little inhibited, I think one of the things, if you're asking for a solution, I, I think there's, there's some things that we could do. You know, we could get, become involved. There's, there's lots of places where people are saying, hey, uh, what about joining, you know, a team? Whether it's, uh, you know, I, I've had people come to me and say, well, well what are, you know, what's available? And, Sometimes it's just looking and seeing where I, you know, where you might be, you know, be a part of a small group, part of a service team, you know, using some of your skills and talents on, you know, some of the things and areas. But in terms of what, you know, in, in a church, I, I guess I would, you know, reach out and say, what about seeing somebody who's sitting across from you and just, you know, just saying hi or, you know, becoming kind of a, a greeter on your own, so to speak, where you just reach out and, uh, you know, see maybe there's another person that might be thinking the exact same thing that you are. I think it's tough because a lot of times as a married person who hasn't been single for a long, long time, it's not, yeah. it's not like I sit around and think about, oh, I wonder what the single people are doing. And in fact, probably the opposite. I'm like, man, look at all them single people having a life. And, you know, I'm yeah. going, I'm going yeah. home so my kids can take a nap and, uh, you know, we can survive the rest of the day maybe without any meltdowns or, or we're looking for another family that might have similar type aged kids or similar, you know, activities that they like to do. And so, I think this really speaks to both of them, both, you know, the the message last week and this week, where we have to find our unity in Christ in ourselves and then also in the people around us in our as our church family, whether we're married or whether we're single or that that small group. And I mean, if someone was looking to get in touch with a small group that I mean, can they come and talk to you on a Saturday morning, Jeff? Is that who oh, yeah. what they would do? Yeah. Yeah, And I think that's the part that I think about myself. I think about other people that are on staff. Can we're all there for that very real reason is to be available for those kind of one-on-one conversations. And sometimes it's hard. Like you say, maybe it's an anonymous question right now just because nobody wants to be called out for that. But, yeah. you know, having having people that you can reach out to is part of the reason why we have family. Yeah. And the reason I said that it's more than just single people is because 
we have married people who come to church who feel even estranged or invisible in their own families, uh, whether they be siblings or children, you know, children, or even even parents or uh, husbands and wives. There's there's all sorts of people who come for different reasons, and uh, it, it's a hard thing to deal with. I read something this week that really stuck with me, and I mentioned it to someone else, and they were like, "Wow, I've never thought about it that way before." But and it was a quote attributed to somebody. I'm sure if you looked it up online, it would probably only be 10 or 12 people that would be attributed to probably. But it said, blood makes you related. Love makes you family. And so I think that as you come to Whole Life Church and a lot of new faces that we see every week and people that you talk to and what that theme that, you know, Ken has been preaching since he got here is family. He opens with it. He closes with it on message. And I think it's per, it's becoming a part of just who we are and because of its intentionality, which is exactly what we want. So I'm hoping that that even if you don't feel like you have any blood relatives that you'll find family here at Whole Life Church. Ken, anything to add? Right on point, Randy. There right you. on point. <laughs> well, because, you know, we're going to now we're going to get into the meat of the matter because, you know, I, I felt like both the singles and the marriage message, these were amazing messages. And I, I think as good a message as you'll ever hear, just breaking everything down to its biblical beginnings, its context, when it was written, why it was written, and maybe ways we should look at it that we haven't before. And Ken started off with a couple of two velvet sledgehammers. One was he started out with the word submission. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which everyone immediately goes, ooh, I heard warm a, and fuzzies. Yeah, I heard a groan. It was funny. Yeah, it, from, there is yeah, an audible there was, groan. There was yeah. an audible groan. <laughs> <laughs> and then he followed it up with object. And when you make your mate an object, and you know, Ken was very transparent as if we all are being honest, we, we can admit the same thing, that we've all looked at our significant other or spouse no matter how long you've been married, there's still <laughs> maybe a, especially how long <laughs> maybe, you've been married. Yeah. But you can <laughs> you can tend to look at them as an object. And I, I wouldn't always say that it's nefariously that you do that. It, it's very easy to to slip into that, oh well, they usually do that for me, so now I expect it. Or then the game of, well, you do that and I do this, and we kind of know that. That's kind of like our deal. But then when the deal, for some reason, doesn't happen, and then it's like, well, wait a minute. Now the whole Apple card is tipped over because somebody didn't do what they were supposed to do in our little non-said agreement. And when you put those together, it's something that I think if you're married and you watched it, it really hit home. Because it's something that every marriage has come across, again, whether we're going to be honest with ourselves or not. But being prepared and knowing that it's there is completely different. And I, I had to laugh because early on, um, he <laughs> Ken told the story about Eric. I, I don't even want to tell it. Tell, just tell him because in case somebody missed the message, I want them to hear this story from you because I, I just made me laugh out loud as a parent. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and the the sad thing. By the way, for any parents, I apologize if you went home and and your child said something to you, or she was like, "I wonder if there would have been a way to tell that story a little differently, so you didn't have kids." Uh, so, but the, the story uh, the story goes like this: I Eric had, had come home on a break, and and there were some dishes in the sink, and I said, "Hey, Eric, can you can you do the dishes?" And he said, "Sure." And a couple hours later, the dishes are still there. And I was feeling fresh, and I said, Eric, come on, let's get it done. And uh, Eric says, <laughs> chill, bro. <laughs> Why so aggressive? <laughs> and uh, and it was just the way he said it. It, just, it, it actually made me laugh, and it was like, it, he really, it sounds like he was being disrespectful. He wasn't. Anyway, so we, you know, we, uh, we helped him uh, get understand that uh, I'm chill and you can still do the dishes. Thank you for doing that right now. But as I was kind of thinking about one of the things um, in my relationship with my wife, and and I think probably a lot of people can 
uh, relate in, in you know with your own spouse if you're married. Um, is there just a lot of times where I get way more aggressive than I need to because I'm not willing to uh, do that whole thing that I talked about, you know that 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 word that we don't <laughs> like, and you know, and and, and so I get aggressive. Oh, one? that yeah, that yeah, one. that one. And so instead of chilling and just kind of just taking it easy and and being like, hey, I can slow down a little here. I don't have to get aggressive on this. I can back off. I I don't. I get aggressive. I'm like, hey, no, no, no. You know, we all do. The yeah. hair goes up on the back of our neck, and it's yeah. like. I must defend. Yeah. And then later on, you kind of go, why? I mean, why did I defend in that moment when it's, okay, the dishes, let's just stay there and let's just not say it's Eric, it's you and your wife. And it's like, someone's got to do the dishes, right? Whether it's put them in the dishwasher or whatever the routine is at at your house. And I think Ken and I are are a lot alike in that (laughs) respect where first off, I'll tend to like, I'll pop off back like, well, yo, I was doing something too, you know, like I just haven't yeah. been like not doing whatever. Like, what are you I accusing did the me dishes of? dishes for the last three nights, so, uh, you know. Because men are good at keeping track of yeah. things. And well, certain things. <laughs> certain and things and the others not so much. But the dishes, oh, I can tell you how many times I've done dishes. <laughs> Ken gave us four things, the four C's, chill, curious, commitment, and control. And stay away from control. C's the ba- that control is the bad C right there. Where was the oh the C was the bad C. It's three it, C's. There's three C's and, and a then, fourth to stay away from. And the fourth was yeah. The, yeah that's right. Okay, there we go. So, yeah. There we go. Okay, yeah I didn't finish reading that one. Yeah. I highlighted them. So chill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See this yeah. is why Ken needs to be on the podcast because just to make sure you exactly. I'm a little afraid from last week. Now that I think about it, probably should go listen to yeah, that. Podcast probably should go and, listen. Yeah. Make sure I'm not putting words in your mouth. Yeah, in fact, that, that but it's so important to stay away from that. You know, you think about a lot of what we do, and and when you when you think about you know submission, most of the time, what we think of, oh, I don't want to be controlled by somebody. And if I submit, mm. that's that's what's going to happen. I'm going to get controlled, and and uh, I'm going to be manipulated. I'm going to be pushed around, and and a lot of times, when uh, when you hear. Uh, one spouse tell the other one, well, you just need to, you know, you need to submit. <laughs> what what we're really dealing with is a control issue. It's like, well, yeah. um, I have no other card to play, so I'm just going to play the you need to submit card and do what I want you to do. And I'll go ahead and pull out a Bible verse that, that supports what that, I yeah. want or a quote from some other place. And, and then you have to do it because I'm controlling. Yeah. And so we want to stay away from that. I thought the the chill is, you know, you said kind of like take a deep breath and submit and just kind of, to me that meant just chill and put yourself in the moment without the preconceived idea of what that person meant. And then you said curious, what did they, why did they, why did I? Yeah. Like what happened here? And I think that the curious part to me might be the one that if we spent the most time on the curious. Mm Mm-hmm. Because if I understand and I kind of get an idea of why thing, certain situations that repeat in marriage, just like any other relationship, if you can kind of figure out that curious part, like, why did that bother you? Yep. And and not in a, I'm not attacking. I'm not putting words in your mouth. I just want to know why, because this is how it made me feel. This is what I'm seeing. And if it's something completely different a lot of the times you can kind of scratch a lot of the little ones off the list and there might be big ones that you really have to work on. Mm-hmm. But if you're constantly stumbling over the little ones, it makes the big ones seem even just like almost insurmountable, mm-hmm. at least to me. And then the, the commitment part, I did, I loved how, and I had this, I had this idea in my head and it was, uh, you know, Beastie Boys, you got to fight for your right to party, right? <laughs> and it's in, 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 and now follow me here. It's, I'm, I'm sticking with you. I'm here, sticking Randy. with it. You know, if, if you've ever, if you've ever seen the music video, it, it's like the most, the most mayhem you could ever pack into a bunch of teenagers making, you know, we're fighting for our right to party. And you said basically two people can't fight for their own rights every day without submitting to each other. And if you just see the mayhem and, Man, that takes a toll on everyone. It just makes things seem so tense all the time and so heavy. And chill, bro. Yeah, just chill, bro. Figure, <laughs> you know, chill. You know, why are you coming at me so hard, so aggressive? And because it almost makes the control part to me, there's very few people I want to give control to. 
Yeah. I, I'm not good at giving control to, to Jesus, and I should, right? He's the most trustworthy. Right. But if I stop and think about my life, and I think about who would I give control to without question? And for me, that's my spouse, Heather. Because even though we, you know, we may have problems here and there and in whatever parts that we disagree on or at the end of the day, I know who has my back. Mm-hmm. And it's always it's always her. It's always been her. So I think if it, when you take the three, the chill, curious and the commitment and you realize Jesus metaphor that you know, that's the metaphor for our relationship with him. Then when you look at control, at least to me, that the control was actually one of my favorite parts. Because even though there's a lot of people I wouldn't want to give control of my life, my wife is one of them. And so that actually made me, feel, for me, that part of the message was a plus where maybe maybe it's a minus for some people. But I think as you come through those, it helps with that control part. But the thing I've really found that I hadn't heard before when someone preaches on, on Ephesians is the context. Mm. The way you talked about how Paul is writing it, and if you, you know, and then you apply those those norms, and you look at what he's actually saying, that's something I wouldn't miss, and I wouldn't try to recreate it myself here. So definitely don't miss the message. But if you could talk about that a little bit, because I think that's the part where people are like, oh, it's another submit to your wives and husbands and yeah. and this. But you brought in the wives, the concubines, and the and the context and all of the the hierarchy of the society that they lived in that yeah. he wrote this to. And that to me made a huge difference on how I took in chill, curious, and commitment. <laughs> it really did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, for those who. Uh, who who believe strongly in women's equality this this Ephesians 5 can be a pretty hmm. pretty difficult uh chapter to swallow because there's there's a lot of uh, talk about you know your husband is the head just like Christ is the head of the church and um you know and you need to submit to your husband and a lot of times when people start quoting those verses, they, they again, forget the verse that comes right before the verse that says, uh, wives, this means submit to your husbands, is the verse right before it says, I want you all to submit to each other. Right, yeah. It's not simply a call for women to submit. There's a, there's a call in there for men to submit as well. And so I think, it, and, and just basically, it's a call for all of us to live a life where if we love somebody that we're willing to go ahead and allow them more latitude in our lives Mm. to do things. And Paul is talking to uh, the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus is going through a lot, and Paul is is calling them to unity. This is kind of the big theme, overall arching theme uh, of that, um, according to the Adventist Bible commentary, and if you just read the book, you'll see it. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a call to, to unity and and unity rarely is occurred, occurs by a dictator. That's more of hurting than it is. Uh, you know, the kind of unity that Christ was talking about was a, a voluntary submission on the individual's part, not a, a coercion that where you force somebody into doing something against their will, but you, you, or in spite of what they want. And so Paul is talking about that that Christ-like unity that comes from a voluntary surrender of of myself, a, a voluntary submission of myself. Mm. And when you get into Ephesians 5, he's still on that unity theme, and he's, he's talking about what it would look like inside of a, a marriage. And uh, there were kind of household codes that, that were out there, and... In Ephesus, you know, a man was was the unquestioned head of his home. There was no, the woman did not have any kind of veto power. It, whatever the man's decision was, was what the man's decision was. And in a lot of Roman society, there was um, kind of a rule that women could own property, but only if their uh, their father and their husband died first, and then you could own oh, wow. it. So you, you essentially... Women were a wife in in Ephesus was really their primary purpose was to create uh, legitimate children in a marriage to carry on the family name and, and heritage. 
And beyond that, there really was there was no purpose for that person uh, in that society. That the man was more than welcome to have multiple sexual partners and other people that. And so a wife wasn't, you know, the, the intimacy that we often think about in an American society was just not the same thing in Ephesus. No. And so Paul does something quite revolutionary when he tells men that they need to love their wives. It would have blown their minds. What are you talking about? What do you mean I need to love my wife? What's that? I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, that's like, it's like me telling, you know, it's like me saying, Randy, you need to love your comb. <laughs> and Randy is like, oh, well, I like it, and it serves a purpose, but the, I don't think I love what's it. the point of loving that? I mean, that's yeah. not what—I mean, you don't love a comb. Right. And and that's how—you know, and I say that, and then this sentence that would have sounded you know, as ridiculous as that sounds for me to say that you need to love your comb, you have to understand that Ephesian men, when they heard that, would have felt equally ridiculous— oh, you need to love your wife. Well, that's—who does that? I mean, that's—I mean, what's the point of that? That's— why yeah, yeah. and so it, it's just a revolutionary thing and then and then Paul takes it further and says and you have to love her the same way that love Christ loved the church and lay down your life mm. for her that was the one right there that you know when you think about it in that context that change that has to change your idea of you know how you look at your spouse if you've never looked at it that way before you got married a lot of people when they say well when they start talking about this headship thing, they're talking about, I'm in charge, you need to listen to me and do what I say. That's that's the whole, I'm the leader, I'm in charge, I'll take your opinion into consideration, of course, but at the end of the day, I get to make the final decision. If we're going to then listen to what Paul is saying, he said, you've got to lead like Christ, you've got to be the head like Christ, and Christ did not die so that each one of us had to have salvation. He died so that we could choose whether we wanted to accept salvation. And so I think that's a really important thing to think about, that a Christ-like leadership style is a leadership style that allows people to to make their choice, that allows them to to come along out of love instead of out of coercion. And the problem is, it just goes right back, like I talked about, into Genesis, where where we want to do we want to live in the curse, or do we want to live in in the new reality of Christ? Do we want to live under the 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 whole the woman will will vie for control in the relationship, and the husband will vie for control and will 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 you know basically oppress her is what what's saying is because what that's what happens when you get two selfish people seeking what's best for themselves. It's going to be a bloodbath when you two selfish people trying to fight for their mm. rights. Neither mm. one's ever going to win because the other one will always be undermining the other one. Yeah, and it's just back and forth. And so that's where submission has to come into it. As much as we don't like that word, yeah, you have to be willing to submit. You have to be willing to say, you know what, it's not what I want, but if that's what's good for you, I care about you more than I care about me. I care about yeah. I, I care about what's yeah. good for you. Go, yeah, I was just going to ask you, Jeff. I mean, what do yeah, you? Yeah, I think. Well, I think it, that's the piece that does get missed in all of this is that you know, matter of fact, I think there was a question brought in, uh, and I like how Ken you brought up the idea of you know why didn't Paul just flat out say, "Hey, you're both equal." Well, first of all, the the culture of that day, or at least society of that day, was that the woman didn't have a choice but now paul is laying it out you know you have you know you have basically heard this come down through you know literally since the fall but now he's literally liberating because now he's saying submission is a choice to the woman as well Mm -hmm. that you what you know what you do with your choice now matters in this relationship so he's literally empowering women and men to make this choice, you now have a choice and whether or not you're going to try to rule or control or try to figure out ways in which aren't going to be constructive ways to now deal with equitability and in, in, within a relationship. Now he's saying, wives, submit to your husbands, husbands, you submit to your wives as well. And so you submit to each other. This is how a real marriage works now moving forward. And he's actually honoring the choice that each co- each person has within within that relationship. Yeah. So I, you know, I think it 
it, we have to look at it from that standpoint that this is very, just like Ken said, it's very radical statement, not from the standpoint of, you know, oh, well, what choice do I have? I'm a, I'm a wife, you know, I, I live in, you know, first century, you know, Roman you know, <laughs> province yeah. here. I have no choice. Of course, I'm going to submit. No, he's actually saying this is a choice. You do have this choice. Make this choice for the relationship, for the way in which God decides to build unity in the church. And I think that's a very, very important piece yeah. that sometimes goes ignored that Paul is giving, you know, freedom of choice within this, as he has said, of the women and the men. It's really beautiful when you think about it. It was a radical concept then, and it's a radical yeah. concept now. Yeah. Yeah. I want to jump into the questions here pretty soon, but I wanted to give just a little bit of time to both Jeff and Ken. If there was, Jeff, if there was one thing you could say to someone who they've heard, they've heard the message here about being single, being married, and if they're in, you know, and they're in a relationship, whether that be, you know, they're still single but they're looking to marriage, or they're 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 in a marriage and there's issues and what do we do to, to try to make sure we're solid or we can get back to solid or we prepare for solid? That's a lot of questions. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, you, you know, it's interesting within relationships. Um, you have two very, very basic fears. One is the fear of loneliness mm. and being alone and being left alone. And the other one is the fear of losing, you know, my independence <laughs> and losing control, so to speak, of my own life. Yeah. And uh, so, and those kind of work against each other sometimes, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, um, you're, you know, even internally, we, you know, we see things within our own lives, you know, that, and, and you know, single people there, you know, they don't, they don't like the thought of, you know, what life looks like being alone. That That's a hard thing to deal with. I feel lonely. And usually what ends up happening is I'm going to get somebody else to solve that issue for me. Hmm. And, uh, and I, you know, Ken mentioned this actually in the, in the later part of his, his talk is, you know, in terms of 100 percent of you is expected within a relationship, not 50%, but 100%. And that's a really important thing. And, and I think my best advice to people that are either in a relationship or seeking a relationship is that whenever you have an intimacy with somebody else, or a, and, and I don't mean this in a sexual way, I mean, anytime you have an intimate relationship, there's always three different entities. There's myself, there's the, the other person, there's you, and there's us. Mm. And, and really, the work is going to, you know, your responsibility is obviously taking care of yourself, but also taking care of the us part. That's where you get a chance to do that 100% piece goes into us as well. And, and so in a relationship, a lot of times we very rarely will look at the other person, especially men, have a hard time looking at the other person through the us lens. And, and, and I know that's a, that's a little nuanced right there, but women from the early on, maybe it's because they didn't have the testosterone to to split their hemisphere, their brain hemispheres in half, or I'm not exactly sure, but women, you know, they learn very quickly, very early on how to be in relationship. Uh, we, it, it takes us a little longer for some reason as men, uh, we're much more captivated by competition and, and I know I'm making huge generalities here. <laughs> They're not wrong, but, though. <laughs> <laughs> Because I don't want to get caught in these, you know, this is yeah. how men are different from women. But, but there, we, we do struggle a little bit with being able to see my partner 
through us lenses. Mm. There's a lot of a lot of times we get into a competitive uh, kind of a posture with our wives, and sometimes, well, not sometimes, most of the time, that does not work out well. <laughs> and I think it's really important that as we see our relationship, that we are constantly feeding that us piece, doing inclusion within that relationship, where now I take on this this idea of I am no longer just myself in this relationship. I'm part of a coupling that takes place where I literally, truly see how I can uh, not get my wife to, you know, not be herself because she's still, that's a complete other entity. She gets to be herself. I get to be myself. But we also have this other piece where we're not only fostering a huge future for us, yeah. but also eventually mentoring for other people as well. I don't think to anyone... See what, oh, go ahead. Sorry. To see what God actually looks like in our marriage. Maybe it's just me, but I don't think anyone really... I mean, in premarital counseling, I remember a little bit about you know that we part, but I don't think it gets emphasized enough that, yeah, there's me and I don't want to change and it's you and you don't want to change. And then nobody, you know, people don't think about, or at least maybe I didn't think about how much you're going to grow. And I don't think anyone can know that until you actually do it and how much the idea that, Hey, at this point in time, everything aligns, but there's going to be times when I'm me and you're you, and those really don't align. And then there's, we have to find ways to make those align again, or we have to come to some kind of agreement with that. So I love that we part. I think that's great advice to be thinking about if you haven't already, that maybe a lot of the keys land in that we part that maybe we just haven't gotten to yet. Everything's been pretty good. And then when the we doesn't quite work like it's supposed to, I think the tendency is, is to blame the other person because they're not trying hard enough. And, you know, maybe they don't realize it either. Maybe they're not in that place yet where they're seeing the we. So I, I really like that that we advice, Jeff. That's that's awesome. Ken, what's the last thing you want someone, if they forget everything else you said over the course of this message, what's the one thing that you hope that they walk away with? The submission isn't a dirty word. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. No, and that, that's that's powerful. Yeah, that that submission's a necessary part of any healthy relationship. Mm, I like it. All right. It's how it's how the we gets formed, actually. Yep. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. Um, okay. Well, let's get on to the questions. Our first question is from Sharon Schofield Marquez. She asks, Why is it that our behavior always seems worse with those close and who we love? Because there's nowhere to hide. Oh, yeah. There's nowhere to hide. I think that with people that you aren't close to, you're able to kind of go ahead and just deal with it for the, you know, the amount of time. Well, mature people are able to do that. I don't know. (laughs) I always can do that. But, you know, but you know what I'm saying? But people, but overall, you can kind of, you can, then you can go home and, and whine and gripe about what's going on there. But, but when you live with somebody, there's really nowhere to run or hide from it. And that's kind of one of the beauties of it is that you have to face you have to face it. You can't you can't evade it. And maybe that's one of the truest forms of yourself, you know, and, yeah. and you have to admit I'm I do have I do have anger issues here or I do speak in ways I'm not proud of. And so I, I think it's uh you know, for me it's yeah, there's just nowhere to hide. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good question, too, from the standpoint of there's history. There's so much more history with somebody who's been close to you, especially if you've mm. been there, you know, a, a little time. bit of time. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times we think, well, history is just going to get used against me, but it also can be used for you. And that's the part where I think, you know, for couples, especially couples who have been together for a long time, if you're. If all you're doing is, you know, spending time and just going through time without intentionally building trust, eventually those those pieces will be brought up against you as indictments, right? Yeah. But if you're if you're spending that time to realize, hey, here's a person who knows everything about me, and yet I still want to be with this person because I trust what they know about me. 
and how they'll bring it, you know, bring it back around, so to speak. Yeah. So, uh, so I think, you know, Ken, you know, Ken mentioned that too. It, it, you know, I, I want somebody who sees me at my worst <laughs> and, and still, loves still yeah. and still wants to spend time <laughs> with me. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I think what you bring back as well, like if it's a back and forth with, we're going to bring up and we're going to rehash old, old things that were negative. Let's bring up, let's have a session where we bring up and rehash wonderful memories because yeah. I find that, you know, when you find those things that a lot of times you're like, ah, what should we do? Uh, I'm bored. Or I think, you know, we should do this. We should do that. And it's like a lot of the things that you used to enjoy, you know, maybe before you had kids or when the relationship was newer, those are things that you probably still enjoy. You just haven't done because you either haven't had the time or the resources to do them instead of rehashing what we all know our bad parts are and what our mistakes are. I like to sometimes try to turn it around and find opportunities when somebody brings back a memory and go, man, do you remember when we did this? And, and, you know, you get that same laugh because it's, it's, uh, it's still fun. It's still a memory that you have that only you have together. And I think that's a, it's sometimes a way to kind of diffuse and, and move off track and kind of turn it back to a, to a different and more positive outlook. Yeah. All right. Jahimi said, where is godly love during living in with a girlfriend and having children? Is it Christianly acceptable? How do you deal with it redemptively? I'm not exactly sure. There's two ways you could probably go with that question. I think what he's coming from is he's saying we as a church— if we're going to be Christian, don't should we call out people that are living together? Okay. I'm assuming I'm assuming that's where he's coming from, because you know, couples who, in and in, in, I think where he's saying is couples that have chosen to move in together, so to speak, without being married, are we being Christian by not calling them out? I'm assuming that's what they're saying. That's how I took I, the I, first part I, too. This is a this is a touchy situation. We actually um, we have uh, I I hope we have created a an understanding within within our within our church. I can't speak for all churches. Sure, but within our church, where we. You know, we all are flawed people. We all make make mistakes. Um, I, you know, I've had, and I'm sure Ken has too. I've married couples, and uh, afterwards, as as I watched them go through some pretty rough times in their life and then get a divorce, I wondered, did I did I do them a service? Um, uh, did I did I was my blessing uh, a, a favor to them. So, you know, all of these things in terms of being Christian, God asks us to be loving, accepting, and he asks us to be merciful. And I, I'm going to be, I'm going to go out on a limb here and saying that, that the church is not, I don't think God put the church in place so that we could ride herd over people's decisions Mm. and make, uh, you know, make social justice kind of, uh, mandates for people to, to ruin their, to run their lives, to ruin or to bless. So I, I do think that sometimes we get involved with these things and we call it Christian when in actuality it is being somewhat oppressive. And I would hate to think that we're going to I'd rather err on the, on the lane of being unoppressive and then giving people good advice and hopefully they'll follow it. I don't like getting in, into people's decisions as to how they should run their lives and then we're going to excommunicate them as a church because they made a mistake. I, I guess that's the best way of saying it. Jeff, I think it's an interesting question in the sense that um, 
more and more people are living together before they get married, and and that's a yeah. that's a rising issue within the Christian church and church, um, not just the Seventh Day Adventist Church, but the Christian church has overall said it's best to get married. And so one of the questions yeah. that we have to to look at is why are people doing that? Why are yeah. people why are people living together before they get married? And and I think that that. You know, I, I don't have the data in front of me, but I would I, I would suspect that that there are a number of the people that lived together before they get married lived in in situations where they saw parents that were not happy together, that were really uh, did not make marriage attractive, or made it seem like I don't want to go I don't want to go through the pain that I saw my parents go through when they got right. divorced yep. and. So I would suspect that that would be a, a pretty big reason why that may happen. And so here's my advice to Christians who want to do something about people living together. Have a functional marriage that is a shining example of how wonderful marriage is. Mm-hmm. If, if you want to be preaching, that's the preaching that you ought to do. And let me be clear, I, I do think, by the way, especially when you have children, it's so important to have two parents at home if possible. And let's be honest, again, we live in a world where, where everything's not the way that we always wish it would be, okay? And, and so so let's be careful when we throw when we start throwing stones at somebody else. You know, Jesus talked about, you know, the speck in your eye or in somebody else's eye, and you've got a log in your own. So I think we have to be a little bit careful, but it may be one of the logs in some Christian eyes is we want to pick on on the behavior that that it doesn't that isn't biblical. At the same time, we're living unbiblically in a sense that we we make marriage unattractive by the way that we go about doing it. Those who who use their authority in marriage to to push down the other the other partner in that marriage and to to dominate. Um, so I think that if we if we really want to speak about if we really want people to believe marriage is a beautiful thing, those of us who are married ought to live a beautiful marriage and one that makes our children and the children that we come in contact go, oh, I want that when I grow up. And that's that's what how we do it. And and I will just say for those of you who may be thinking about cohabitating before you get married, if and you're doing it to try to avoid pain that you've seen, the statistics are against you. And what I mean by that is that there, all the statistics say that that people who cohabitate before they get married have a higher divorce rate than than those who don't. And I'm not again picking, but just right. I'm just saying statistics are statistics, and you can do a lot of different things with them. But every study that I look at says that that living together actually lowers your probability of lasting versus getting married. And so that's just something to think in and take into to account as you're making those decisions about what you're going to to do and how you're going to go about doing things. But let me tell you this, as as a broken person, I can tell you that God does an amazing job of helping people who put their trust in him to get through their through the brokenness of life and 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 Christ never leaves or abandons us. Yeah. No, anyone that asks me that question, because my first marriage, it was a cohabitation to start with. And the one thing that you hope that any relationship that you're in that does not end the way you'd like it is that you would learn something from it. And the thing that I learned from that is I would have never done that again, cohabitating before getting married. Like you said, the statistics are against it, and there's a lot of reasons for that. And I wouldn't—I'm not going to go into all of them. It doesn't matter, but it, it's just something that when you do it, and you know how it makes you feel, and then you get married to the right person, it's two different things. It's—it's mm-hmm. it's not the same thing, and it's—it seems like it at the beginning when you're like, "Well, it seems like a good idea," and then I—I I, don't—I don't think there's a big difference. And there really is. There really is. So I'm always like, you know, look, you don't have to take my word for it. But as someone who's been there, that's just one of the things that when I when that relationship was over, I'm like, I will never live with someone again unless I'm married to them. And that was that was my like my first and probably the largest hard rule that came out of that uh, out of that relationship, because once you realize again, it's just it's just a completely different thing. All right. Our last question. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, I just want to say more and more we're finding couples who are thinking about, you know, they're serious, they're thinking about getting married, they're thinking about probably maybe figuring out something that's going to be long-term for them. 
and they they sometimes say, oh, well, let's try the, the move-in part. I would suggest rather than moving in, but to you know, it's happening more and more these days, is to find a good counselor. Get you know, a lot of counselors now are doing premarital work as opposed to just marital work, and sometimes now dating it does. And by the way, it's the reason why it doesn't always have great statistics behind it because it has to do with one of Ken C's and that is commitment. Mm-hmm. It's a lot, much lower level yeah, of yeah. commitment. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so maybe find a counselor. Maybe that should be a fourth C <laughs> counselor. <laughs> but, oh, I like that. <laughs> that's right. There you go. And that's, but, and that's um, one of the good C's. Then. That's a good C. Yeah. Good C. Yeah. yeah good okay, C. All, all right. right. All right. Well, I like that, Jeff. I like that a lot because, you know, people have legitimate concerns going to marriage yeah, and, and yeah. I, it's nobody, I think, especially as, as a, as the generation that that's um, coming of age right now, getting married, they've seen so much divorce and they've seen so much pain and, and, and the, the pain that comes through a divorce that they don't want that. They don't mm-hmm. want that in their life. And so they're, right. they're just trying to find some way. And it, if you're intuitive, it would seem intuitively, well, if I try out low commitment first and see how that goes, then I would, I'll understand if I live with them for a while, I'll kind of understand how things work and, and it will, it'll tell me whether I should go to the next level of commitment. But sometimes our intuition doesn't actually work the way, you know, sometimes our intuition can be wrong. And in this particular case, you know, Jeff is a counselor. I, I you can probably speak to it more, but I think that that suggestion of, of going and seeing a counselor and really kind of digging into the into who you guys are. I know that both Jeff and I use a, a really great. Well, Jeff, I don't know. Are you still using Prepare and Rich, or do you use something different? Yeah, I've well, I've used it in the past. I kind of modified it a little bit, but yeah, yeah. So I so we use a a, a tool called Prepare and Rich. It, it's a uh, uh, does kind of an inventory of you as a mm-hmm. couple and it looks at different areas of importance in your relationship from your spirituality, your communication to your ability to resolve conflict, um, all kinds, I mean, it's, it's a bunch of other things as well. And it just kind of looks at, at how you match up in those areas. And it's not a tool that says, oh, don't go, don't get married. In fact, when you get trained to use this tool, one of the things they tell you is never tell somebody that they shouldn't get, that, you know, the, the tool isn't telling them not to get married. It's just telling them the areas that there are going to be areas of strength and areas for opportunity for growth, mm. and strength areas can turn into uh, can opportunities for growth if you don't <laughs> if you don't tend to them. So yeah. you know, there's a lot of really great tools out there for you if you're really wanting to know whether you're compatible that can help you, um, and and some great Christian counselors out there that can be. So Jeff, I thought that was a really a really great piece of advice. And counseling is a lot cheaper than getting divorced. Oh, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, as expensive as you think that is, I I have some close friends that are just wrapping up their divorce, and I'm, I'm if I understand correctly, they've spent nearly a quarter of a million dollars. And that's not even the emotional toll. No, and that's which, like the money's the easy part. Yeah, the emotional toll is what'll get you eventually. Yep. All right, our last question comes from Tito, and he asked, should a husband be respected if they are verbally abusive, even when they are being that way out of spite? Like in returning returning abuse for abuse is what I'm getting off of that. So the answer is going to, and, and, and please hear this all the way to the end. So the answer is yes, but sometimes respect is is drawing boundaries. And what that means is, is if somebody's being verbally abusive, sometimes the respectful thing to that person to say, no, mm. I am not going to allow myself to be treated that way. And that's a respectful thing to do um, when said correctly and when executed correctly. And so, you know what? I think that my wife, no matter how she's behaving, deserves my respect at all times. Absolutely. And my love at all times. Yep. Now, and and so I would say the same is true back on the other side. I would like to think that my wife will love and respect me at all times, but respect, I think, shouldn't be construed as meaning do what you're told to do, so or to accept abuse. That's not respect. Doesn't mean that you do what the person tells you to do. Respect means that you live within the boundaries that are healthy. And, and and Jeff, I think you can probably say it better than I can. But it, do you agree with what I'm saying, or is that does that make sense to you? I, 
I agree totally. I, you know, abuse is, and by the way, a lot of times what I find, and you probably have found this as well, when you, when you get couples in, they have a different measure or a different view of what, you know, what abuse is. Yeah. Sometimes how they were raised, you know, I, you know, I, you know, I've had couples that, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm not raising my voice and they're literally raising their voice in the session. (laughs) I never raise my voice. No, no, this isn't raising my voice because of how they, you know, how they see themselves. And so one person's level is maybe a little different than another person's level. Then I'm going to go back to these kinds of things. Again, sometimes you need a third set of eyes on them. Either way, when you feel like you're being abused or disrespected, there is no room. There is no room there in a marriage where that can can continue. So if you do feel that way, and I... Sorry about that. <laughs> That's uh, somebody got in the way of a truck, so... But, <laughs> that um, wasn't you. <laughs> that, wasn't, that wasn't me, but I was next to him. Um there's somebody being abused. Um, <laughs> if I was to be that perpetrator, so to speak, I would want to know that. And that's what makes this whole submission. You know, this is where it means, you know, you, you said it in the beginning. This is what it means to be submissive is that now I get a chance to literally play out what I said I was going to be the kind of husband I was going to be. If my wife or the, my partner is saying, I, f- I feel like I'm being abused by your language and how you talk and how you speak or how your attitude is when you, when you fashion statements or, or about me, then rather than doubling down and saying, I'm not be- da, 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 you know, going down that road and being defensive, why don't, why don't we spend time to try to figure out what that looks like? And a lot of times that's really, really hard. The abuser, and I know Tito's questions about the one being abused and should he stay. If your partner can't dialogue and be a part of that conversation, then you you owe it to yourself, but also to your partner to make a drastic change and say, okay, maybe I need to step away from this relationship for a while. And, you know, because sometimes those things need drastic measures. And you, you know, you know as well as I do, Ken. Sometimes it takes a a little bit of a wake up call for some people before they can make a change. Well, it does. You know, I, I remember one uh, particular uh, marriage I was working with where I, I just I begged the woman to 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 leave for a little while. I said, I'm not asking you to divorce. I'm just asking you to please walk away and don't come back until this behavior has has been demonstrated to have changed and and that's going to, that's going to be not over the course of of a week that's you know we're talking about that they can demonstrate over a course and let that person woo you back let them demonstrate that and and it broke my heart that this 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 marriage, the person wasn't willing to do that. They weren't willing to do it, and the marriage is it, it is broke. It it broke. There's divorce, and and I've always wondered if that person had been willing to do the hard thing of putting some physical distance for a little while, if they could have they could have saved it long term. And again, I think you know I've had spouses be like how can you tell my spouse to do that you're a pastor you can't say that and I, and 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 I, and I say well, of course I can say that you are behaving in a way that is hurting somebody you can't of course I can tell them to not put themselves in the in harm's way of course I can tell them to do that. I'm, and it's not the same thing as saying get divorced. In fact, it's, it's exactly what I'm trying to save you from. I'm yeah. try, I want to save your marriage long term. And sometimes in the short term, you've got to go ahead and get some distance if you can. And sometimes that's the only thing that will bring somebody to the table to be an honest broker. Mm. And, and sometimes I, even yeah. then they won't come. Even sometimes then they won't come. Yeah. 
but far right. better to be, even if they won't come to the table, you can take the time you need to talk to a counselor and to get yourself into a healthy place. Most people don't realize when they're in an abusive situation, they have no idea just how abused they are in that in that moment. They, they don't have perspective and they need space to to get perspective on what's really happening in their life what what they're doing the parts of the part that that that's going on in their life and and don't get me wrong there's no excuse for abuse so but everybody plays a part in, yeah. in brokenness yep and and so being aware of the parts that we play is important too yeah absolutely you know one thing that we that we haven't talked about in this question is if there are other people in the home mm-hmm. namely children yep Children do not differentiate between physical and verbal abuse. They see it the same way. So the damage could be, in other words, if a husband is being verbally abusive to his wife and their children present, to a young child, that's just as damaging mm. as if he were to hit his wife. Wow. So it, it can be a pretty serious deal. And so, you know, well, I'm just yelling at her. I'm just, you know, I'm just calling her names. That, you know, that's not hitting her. There is very little differentiation for a child when that's being done. And, so and that's a pretty big deal. And 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 I think equally, you know, Jeff, um, when 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 people are calling each other names, and verbal abuse can sometimes be pretty hard to yeah. define. At the yep. same time, when you are doing things that make another person feel less than that that are that are damaging their self esteem, that are 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 pulling them down, that's incredibly incredibly damaging to a person. We yeah. tend to we tend yep. to go ahead and focus on the physical abuse, but when you are verbally abusive, um, yep. It, it can really impact people's self-esteem, their ability to do their jobs, their ability to parent well. And so that's why it, it's it's not just words. It's not like it's like, oh, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Words, words, words will kill you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And absolutely. and so we have to we have to be careful and, and understand that the words we use in our marriage can be every bit as damaging is physical abuse if we're not careful. And not to mention that usually when, you know, when things are not in a sense addressed, when you've been become a verbal abuser, it's the next step is the physical abuse. So don't think that it just stays there. Well, that's a lot of good advice we packed into this hour. So I hope that over the course of the singles and the marriages, the two messages, I think we have some good groundwork for people that were had some questions, and I think we provided some answers. But it seems like one of the most important things is that you have someone to talk to. You have someone that you rely on or that's safe for you. And if you, you, know, you don't have that person that you would seek out professional help to find someone to talk to, because so many times we we find out from people after the fact and it's like wow how lonely they were or yeah. they didn't want to share with someone because they were ashamed or they were scared or you know for all those different reasons so and if you have any questions send them in and if it needs to be confidential if it needs to be away from the podcast I'd like to think that we can at least connect people with resources that really need them and we care and we want to make sure that everyone is as as safe and happy as possible. So don't hesitate to reach out if you need to. All right. Next week is we, our family arise in your season. And there's a, there's a weird name on my screen right now. It says, <laughs> it a- looks all familiar. Doesn't it? It says Andy McDonald, Andy McDonald. Who, who's, who's this guest speaker? You speak that- This is our senior pastor emeritus. I am so excited that he's, uh, he's agreed to come back. We, uh, we were talking about it. We uh, we had a, a different uh, plan for this week, but uh, due to, to some things that were occurring, we needed to, to do something different. And so just so grateful that uh, Andy was willing to to step in and do this uh, 
this sermon, he's he's kind of complained a little to me. He's like, Did it's he? kind of cliche that you're having <laughs> Did he really? to talk about. <laughs> so if you're listening to this, Andy, uh, I'm sorry, man. I mean, but yeah. uh, but man, we're thrilled to have you back in the uh, back up at the pulpit. So Jeff, are you going to be back next week for the podcast? Yeah. yeah. So that means that next week, in episode three twenty six. It'll be the first time in over a year, well, well over probably two years because we didn't we didn't meet together during COVID, that the three of us have been in this little office slash studio on second right. floor at church yeah. where it all began in episode one and mixed a pile of boxes and uh, dad's Randy, root Andy, beer. and Jeff. Andy, Randy, and Jeff. Yeah. There you go. That's crazy. All right. Well, if you know Andy, you don't want to miss next week's message and or the podcast. And so if there's anything that uh, we didn't get to today that you'd like to know more, you you know, something we said, didn't say, should have said 407-965-1607 or podcast at wholelife.church. And you can send in your questions and we will get to them next week. And we'll, we'll make, we'll make Andy answer them next yeah, absolutely. week. Absolutely. <laughs> so send, send in the hardest questions you have. And we'll, I've got we'll, about three or four <laughs> in mind. So. <laughs> we'll bomb Andy with the good questions. <laughs> anonymous asks. <laughs> yeah, oh anonymous. man. Well, now he's, Andy's going to about midweek. He'll be like, well, sorry guys. I, you know, something came up. I'm not sure I can make it this week. <laughs> but in all, in all seriousness, join us next week. And uh, we look forward to having you all back. And in the meantime, have a great week. 